Praise God. Well, good morning. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's 12 o'clock. It's after 12. Great to be together. Man, I really appreciate the story from Mark and Karen. Uh, it's the classic thing that all of us feel like, you know, um, you know, if I had to ask anyone, would you like to be a generous person? Everyone always answers, yes, I want to be a generous person. But at the same time, we get that tension of, but I want to have and acquire and own and buy and possess and, and hoard for myself, but I want to be a generous person. And you can hear it in the story there over the years and then even more recently, just the Holy Spirit nudging on their hearts. I want you to be a generous person. I want to make this transformation in your heart and in your soul. So really appreciate that. Hey, if you're here for the first time, a super big welcome to you. But just have to let you know, you really have arrived at a very unique and formative time for us. What we're preaching today and over this series, we're in week four of a five-week. So next week will be our final one is just very, very different, um, and the sermon will be slightly different. Even though we'll get into the Word of God, we are really addressing some very specific, concrete things that we think the Holy Spirit has spoken to us as a church to tackle and to get our arms around and things that we want to serve Him in. So I appreciate your grace with all of that. Let me give you a little snapshot reminder of where we've been so far. We got introduced to you to this wonderful fella in the Old Testament called Nehemiah. Week number one, he's living in Babylon, ages away from his home country, of Israel and Jerusalem. And he gets the news that Jerusalem's a wreck. The place is torn to pieces. It's a shameful condition. The, the walls are broken and the gates are burned down. And he's, he's extremely affected by this. In week number one, we saw him. He actually, when he finds out this news, he gets down on the ground and he weeps and he fasts for days. That's a, that's a big, big reaction to that. Week number two, he, he gets a little plan in motion. He goes to the king of Persia. He tells him what the deal is, and we see just God providing every resource needed. Time away from work, safe passage, lumber in this particular forest. He's going to have everything that he needs, all the resources required to go to Jerusalem and to fix the problem because he was not okay with what wasn't, with what wasn't okay, and he wanted to do something about it. Week number three, we see that no sooner does Nehemiah get to Jerusalem, no sooner they begin to roll their sleeves up and begin to fix Jerusalem and, and bring honor back to that city, then it's like obstacles every time. They try to do something. How many of you in your life have like, ah, oh, I believe God wants me to serve him in this capacity. And as soon as you get started, it's like you hit a brick wall. And that's what happened to Nehemiah. Tremendous difficulties from a lot of outsiders. We saw this fellow by the name of Sanballat, nasty, nasty guy. And uh, he's trying his very best to serve God in all of that. It literally got so bad, at the end of last week, we found that those who were working on the wall had a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. So it wasn't just their efforts to slow down the work or to distract them or to disturb them. They were actually attempting to, to kill them. They were threatening their lives, and they're working with a trowel and a sword. So pretty heavy-duty stuff. We get to week number four. We're going to bump into chapter five in Nehemiah. And Nehemiah bumps into a different challenge. And I guarantee you, he never saw this one coming. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and build a wall. And what happens has nothing to do with any of that. And what's most difficult is that this problem actually isn't from some outsider trying to kill them. It's very much on the inside. And the unique thing about the challenge is, even though it's incredibly hard, it actually galvanizes the entire group of people. Basically, these Jewish men and women, it really brings them together and bonds them together in a way that, like, nobody is separate from it. Like, everybody is invited in 
to fix a problem and they are all powerfully moved to do something about it. If you're in your guidebooks, you can take notes on page uh, 27. Let's read from chapter 5, verse 1. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against who? Their Jewish brothers. So the problem is that last week it was people on the outside. Now it's the people on the inside. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. When's the last time you went to Kroger and said, let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive? Bit of an odd statement. Why, are they, why is it keep alive? Well, it says it here. There are also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. So they were getting food because they were dying. They were starving to death. What's the problem? And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and daughters, and this is really bad, to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. So let me show you just a summary of what's going on here. From last week, problem number one is that you had outsiders who were distracting them and threatening their lives. This week, problem number two is, it's pretty obvious, the people are starving because there's a famine. Problem number three, as a result of that, they're mortgaging their homes and their fields just so they can buy some food. Problem number four, and this is where it gets nasty, it's their own brothers. It's their own family members, their own, their own nationality that are doing this. And what's happening is they are now uh, lending money because they're desperate at ridiculously high interest rates. They're taking advantage of those who are impoverished. This is an abuse and you're going to see God is not happy with this. Number five, the most awful of all of it, is that as a result of all of this, the creditors come in. We want our money at these high interest rates so that you can eat. They're selling their homes, their fields, their vineyards. Yep, take our children. Their children are being sold into slavery. The irony of this, the tragedy of all of this, is they just left Babylon where they were slaves. And they get back to their home country for their new life. And their own brothers are enslaving their own brothers. And it's children. It's despicable stuff. Now I want you to think about Nehemiah in chapter 1. When he found out about the shameful state of Jerusalem. Do you remember his reaction? He, he get, got down on the ground and he wept and he fasted for days. Compare his reaction in chapter 1 to his reaction to this new fresh problem in chapter 5. Because it couldn't be more different. Look at this. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. So he's not lying down on the ground crying. I took counsel with myself. I like that. And I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. So this is Nehemiah going, hey, everybody, get in here. Everybody. This is like your mother calling you for dinner. Hey, get in here. Come on. And everyone hops and skips. It was like there's nobody excluded from this assembly. It's described as a great assembly. He brought, there was nobody omitted. The entire group of people are brought together. He's bringing charges and he's going public with this. 
And he said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? Look at their response. They were silent and could not find a word to say. Nothing. Two phrases in here that I love. The first one is this idea, I took counsel with myself. It's like, Nehemiah learns of this, you know, the famine and mortgaging their homes and their fields and then the interest rates from their own brothers and then children being sold into slavery. And you can just see him going, what? Is this a joke? Are we really doing this to ourselves? We're, we're trying to do something incredible for God and we're, we're, it's like we're kicking ourselves in the teeth here. Hold on a second. I, I need a minute and that's, what's he, that's what he's doing. I need a second to just absorb this. He, he says, I'm going to take counsel with myself. And there are moments in all of our lives where you encounter a need. And it's right. It's like, okay, I need to take a second. Because the next thing that I do, the next thing I say, it really matters. How I respond to what I've just encountered here is going to be extremely significant. And Nehemiah in taking counsel with himself, it's genius because his response is perfect. Everybody, come on. Major assembly. Nobody gets to dodge this meeting. I want everyone included because sometimes it's just wrong. And what's wrong is wrong and what's right is right. He doesn't give a rip about bothering people. He's not playing politics. He's not being diplomatic. He's ready to ruffle some feathers. He calls out the nobles and the officials in front of the entire country. And he begins to make this case. And he states the injustice. And look at their reaction. They were silent and they could not find a word to say. Silence. There are just times when right is right and wrong is wrong. That seems to become more and more rare in our culture today. Everything seems to be great. Let's get everyone's opinion and let's debate it and let's beat it up and let's find excuses and justifications and objections to things. But what was happening was simply wrong. He stated the case and the people heard it. Everybody heard it because no one was excluded. The entire great assembly came together and they were powerfully moved. We've got to do something about this. We cannot coexist with this. Everybody wanted in on making it right. And Nehemiah puts a plan into place, and it's extremely concrete. Debts are cancelled. Done. These interest rates, done. The land and the houses and the farms and the vineyards, give them back to their original owners. People who need food are going to get food immediately. Slaves, little children, you're going back to your families of origin right away. And to every one of you, I mean, it's like everyone's included. He looks at every single one of them. I mean, this is a finger wagging. You're going to start treating each other with respect and we're going to start having a high regard for our God. This is throw down moment with Nehemiah. And he is unabashed. He's so deliberate with this. Watch how he does it. He's so deliberate about putting things right. The first thing he does is he addresses the, the great assembly, everybody that's been invited, where he's like, I want the homes back. I want the farms back. I want the interests undone. And he makes them answer him out loud. Verse 12, 
Then they said, this is the whole assembly, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And these are the words of the nobles and the officials. Not good enough. Nehemiah pushes further. And he says, priests, get over here. You can see these guys kind of shuffling along. He's like, okay, you heard the great assembly. Now I'm going to make these nobles and officials make an oath in front of the assembly and in front of the priests as representatives of God. Verse 12b, I called the priests and I made them swear to do as they as promised. So it's not just your words. In my house, when my kids do not do as they are told and they don't answer me, I look at them and they know the drill. They hate this so much. I'm like, yes, dad. And they go, yes, dad, because they know if they don't answer, daddy's going to do something. I tried it with my wife once. Didn't work. <laughs> and that's what he's doing here. Answer me. Open your mouth. Say you're going to put this right. Say it in front of these priests. They represent God. Make an oath. Open your mouth. And this is what starts to ta take place. He's still not done. He pushes even further. Thirdly, he actually applies this to himself. He's an incredible leader, Nehemiah. He had discovered that as a governor, and he's a governor, he's got some clout. He had discovered that there was a little bit of uh, money on the side coming into the governors. And they were getting a bit of food and wine, a bit of money. And I did the maths on this. It was about $9,000 a year as a little side perk for these governors. Anyone like a little side perk of nine grand a year? Wouldn't that be nice? Here's what it was. It was food. It was fancy drink. But Nehemiah was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not willing to add this burden on these people. Here's what it says in verse 15. He says, the former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration of 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants, they lorded it over the people. But I did not do so. Why? Because of the fear of God. Now watch him not only do that, but actually do the opposite. And then he says, moreover, there were at my table 150 men. That's a bit of grub right there. Nehemiah not only refused to take the perks, but he's feeding 150 men from his own table because they needed the help. You've got to like this guy. What a, what a stand-up fella. He's not even done. Lastly, fourthly. Nehemiah then includes the entire assembly of people. I mean, he's just on this whole thing. It's like everybody in. Everyone's a part of this. No one's excluded. We are a people group. We're going to do this together. And he's like, we're cleaning house on this stuff. This isn't going on anymore. And I want you to be here today to see it, to witness it, to hear it, to see these oaths being spoken. And we're going to have a respect for each other and a high regard for our God There'll be no more taking advantage of those who are impoverished. And there's this incredible happy ending at the end of this verse. It says this, And all the assembly said, And actually, could, can we read the end of this together? And all the assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord, and the people did as they promised. We said we're going to do this. We're going to do it. Amen. Something inside of us that would see what God is doing, something inside your own spirit, that would see what God is calling us to do as a family of God, and something inside you would resonate and say, you know what? Yes. Amen. God, if that's what you want, then we want to step into that. We will say that we will do it, and then we will actually do it. That's what's transpiring here in the scripture. 
Now, what I want to do is I want to take this biblical scene right here, and I want us to incorporate ourselves into it as a, as a family of God. As I mentioned earlier, particularly for those of you who are new, this series that we're in is, is untypical for us. This is a very formative series that we're in about, I think, trusting God and being obedient to what he's called us to do in, in some pretty specific ways. We believe that God is stretching us and prompting us to serve him in new ways, in fresh ways, in bold ways. And I want you, if you would, would you, with that in mind, put yourself into Nehemiah's shoes. This idea, like, I'm not okay with what's not okay. Where he, where he actually felt the burden of that. I mean, when's the last time in Christ that you thought about people that are close to you who don't have Jesus in their lives, and like Nehemiah, you actually fell down on the ground and wept about that? Because that's the heart of God. And the Spirit is calling us to that kind of response that we would feel deeply about the things that, that God feels about. That we would, we would take that burden on us to say, God, we can't just go, oh yeah, that's a pity that those things are happening in this world. But that we would respond to that. I want you to consider the obstacles that he's facing and think of those that you are. This morning I had a gentleman come up to me and he just described as literally he was trying to have a conversation with his, with his spouse about generosity and what that would look like for them. And he was just like, man, it was just like brick wall. It was just obstacles coming against them. They ended up disunity and they were fighting and it was words and it was emotions. It was all of that. And he's like, I'm not shocked. How many times do you go to serve God and as soon as you do, brick wall. You step into the shoes of Nehemiah here and say, okay, I see what's going on here. I would ask you to take counsel with yourself today. And in fact, in a few minutes, we're going to take counsel with God. And here's why. When we talk about generosity, please, don't you dare respond to me. Don't you dare respond, please, to some words that have been put together. Respond to what the Holy Spirit says to you. That's what we're called. That's what I'm called to do. That's what you're called to do. If you follow Christ... If this is your church, if you call this place your home church, and I get it, there are people here who are like hardcore, die, like I've been coming to this church since I was a fetus. I'm like, I never miss a meeting. I get it. And then there are other people like, well, I don't come that as much. If this is in any shape or form part of your community or a place where you worship the Lord and are spiritually fed and you're getting to know and love, man, I would just encourage you. Come before God and say, Lord, what's my part in this? How can I serve you? What are you saying to me? The call to everybody, no matter who you are or where you're at, to get in the game, to be powerfully moved, to say, man, I, I want to do something about this. That the people of God would echo this very scripture where we would all together come and say, amen, yes, and we would praise God, and then we would say, this is what we're going to do it. Now let's go and do it. Well, let me give you a refresher if I could. This content is in the guidebooks. Please, as you pray and read and flick through them during the week. But I want to make sure that this is very familiar for everybody. And I'm going to give a very brief version of this. We didn't get to do this last week. But these are the three legs on the stool of what we believe specifically God is calling us to over the next 24 months. Number one, advance the launch of our Alma multi-site. January the 5th. It's a coming around the corner. We're getting ready as quick as we can. But this involves staffing and equipment and resources and ministry funds and the rental of the facility and the purchase of land. Basically, we're launching a church, a multi-site. The second leg of the stool is the advance of the expansion of ministry right here in Mount Pleasant. Guys, we're not done. 
Amen? Amen. Like people coming to Christ, growth, excitement, lots of people coming to the church. Two weeks ago, highest attendance in the history of the church, you know, besides a Christmas or an Easter. The place was packed. So praise God. We're not done. We're not done. We're not going to go, oh, there's lots of people here. Great. How about more people coming to Christ? How about more hope and deliverance and freedom? How about more children in kid life and middle school and high school and in college and in community groups and here on a Sunday? How about more of the Word of God being poured into our hearts? How about more of us worshiping Him together? How about more of an impact in the community? We're not done. And then in all of that, what we want to do very specifically here is the launch of a 12-step addiction Christ-centered program. I can't wait. 12 months from now, some guy walking through the doors with his hands lifted high. I was addicted to heroin, but I've been set free because of Jesus Christ. How about that? That's exciting. Third leg of the stool is what we've nicknamed the 418 initiative. It's from Luke chapter 418 about setting people free increased sense of benevolence in the community for families in crisis. We do a ton of that. Let's do more of that. Increased sense of global support for missionaries and local agencies. We support a lot of agencies here in Isabella County. We want to get some new agencies in Gratia County under, you know, wrap our arms around them and support them and pray for them and even support them financially as they're making an impact. We want to set up a scholarship fund for all of the community groups here. So that when the Spirit of God speaks to community groups who want to do a tangible project in the community or where your kids go to school or where you go to work or the neighborhood that you live in, that the church is like, yeah, we want to support you financially in that. And maybe one of the most exciting things is we are going to, with the help of God, we're going to wipe out $3 million worth of medical debt that has gone into collections right across central Michigan. Gone. Set them free from financial slavery. Give me an amen on that, would you? That's exciting stuff. So I'm going to go all Catholic on us right now. And what I mean by that is I grew up going to Mass, and sometimes by the, by the time you're finished Mass, you're like, man, I got my exercise, because it's like up, down, turn around, get kneeled down, you know, stand up again. So we're, we're going to do a little bit of moving around, if you don't mind. We'll, we'll kill some carbs, right, and uh, some calories. So here's what I want to do. I, I want to take what I've just shared with you over the last two minutes, the specifics of this, of advance. And I want us to really come, bring it before the Lord in a spiritual way and actually pray about these, if that's okay. And so it's, it's going to look very simple. We're going to maybe mention some pieces, and then we're going to just pray together, and we're going to do some up and down and turn around. So the first leg of the stool is the uh, launch of um, uh, the multi-site in Alma. So I want you to think right now. Think about how you have been forgiven how you've experienced the love of Jesus, how he came and he eradicated shame and guilt, what he did on the cross for you. Okay, you got that? Hold that in your heart. Now, can I ask you specifically, is there anybody here, and you know somebody specifically in Gratiot County, Ithaca, Alma, Shepherd, any of these surrounding towns, and they don't have what you have? They don't have a local church. They don't believe in God. They have no regard for the word. They've never experienced his love or his forgiveness. You got them in your head? And think, I want you to picture their faces and their names. Now we're going to pray for them. So I'm going to ask, if you don't mind, it's not, I don't, hopefully it's not too much of a big deal. Would you stand up right now on their behalf so that we can pray for them? Yeah. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you right now. And Lord, for every person who is standing, Lord, we pray on behalf of a man or a woman or a child or a family or a marriage that is without Christ. 
And we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would convict them. And so they would see in such clarity the depths and the darkness of their sin that would cause in them such a desperation that they would cry out because they would see the love of Jesus Christ explained and defined and expressed on the cross of Calvary. That cross that you are no longer on, that they would see you as the resurrected King. And there would come repentance and trust and forgiveness and new leadership over their lives. God, would you give us the lost... Would you give us a harvest of those who don't know Jesus Christ? We lift them up before you now, and we pray that you would be their Savior. Lord, for every person that's standing on their behalf, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Grab your seats. Okay, so you're getting your exercise already. Aren't you so glad you came to church? We're not done. We're going to do a little bit more. I want to pray for the ministry and the expansion of ministry right here in Mount Pleasant. And I think the most pressing thing on my heart is individuals in addictions. I'm going to do the same thing right now. I want you to think of anybody here that you know who is a part of your life that has encountered addiction. Pornography, Adderall, heroin, cocaine, codependency, gambling, alcoholism, all of it. And there's 50 other things, right? And you know the damage that it has done. And you've seen them come undone and the loss of employment, and the, and the breaking apart of a marriage, and how that has affected children, and relationships, and finances, all of those pieces, and you've seen the damage. So think through family members, maybe it's even you, maybe it's your spouse, or your, your kids, or your grandkids. Think through uh, individuals who live in this community that you're aware of, and their life is simply being touched by addiction. Can we pray for them right now? Would you stand on their behalf? So Father, we bring before you every man and woman Lord, every teenager, every child. And Lord, the truth is they've been caught in a web and they don't know how to get untangled. And so, Lord, on their behalf, we intercede and pray for them right now. We ask you for breakthrough. We do ask, Lord, maybe a year from now, with all that's up and running and ministry taking place, where there would be sponsorship and accountability in 12 steps, where the hero is not a program, it's not a church, it's not a person, it's not me or some other pastor, Lord. The hero is Jesus Christ. And their hands will be lifted high and their mouths will be open. And for the first time, Lord, out of their mouths they'll be going, I've got to praise Christ because he has set me free. So, Lord, that's the kind of fruit that we ask you for. Lord, that is a difficult ministry. But, Father, uh, Lord, if you call us to it, we will be obedient to you. So, Lord, we ask you, we ask you in the name of Jesus Christ for freedom and breakthrough. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen. Praise God. Grab your seats. Last one. Man, is, is anybody not standing? <laughs> Thank you, guys. Last one, and we're going to pray about this, and then we'll move on. And it's, it's our nickname, 418. It's from Luke 418. I've come to set captives free, sight for the blind, release for the oppressed. And I want you to think about our efforts to bring benevolence into families of crisis, our efforts to wipe out medical debt. And I want you to think of families or individuals that you know right now. And they are, they're just underwater. And it has wiped them out. Bankruptcy. Eviction. Homelessness. They're on the breadline. They're not living paycheck to paycheck. They're past that. They're in trouble. Creditors. And here's the thing. A lot of that stuff's actually hard to know because people are so embarrassed. No shock that there are people here in this room today and that's exactly where you're at. And I would say to you, you are in a safe place amongst the family of God. And we love you and we want to care for you and help you. And so I want you to consider those people right now. And they're in that place where they're dabbling 
with the poverty line or they're living beneath the poverty line and you know it. So let's pray for them. Would you stand up on their behalf as anyone that you know? So Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, we see in, uh, in the scripture here that there was an advantage being taken over those who are impoverished. Lord, that this church would be the very opposite of that. It would be a place where it would be a catalyst, God, of hope and renewal, not just of providing in terms of crisis and relief, but Lord, that this would be a family where we would also be able to come alongside and teach each and teach individuals to be able to fish and to get back on their own feet and to have a budget and to get beyond the cycle of just repetition uh, of poverty, God. So, Father, we bring this before you. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray that this place will be such a lighthouse where individuals would come and they would receive your help and your guidance, Father. Lord, we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. All right, grab your seats. Thank you, guys. See, you're fit as fiddles now, every last one of you. How do we get there? How do we get there? I want to introduce two um, very, very pragmatic pieces, and I want to, to engage with this in terms of how the Holy Spirit leads you. The first one is what we simply call the giving ladder. We've looked at this once before, we, and I want to give you a refresher, and then also aware we have new people coming in every single week. And I'm going to show you some steps. This, the question here before you is, where are you at? In terms of generosity. Again, I already mentioned this. You ask anybody, would you like to be a generous person? Everyone's like, yeah. I really would like to be a generous person. It's amazing. We'll make plans for all kinds of things. We rarely make plans for generosity. And so I want you to look at this, and this is going to be a snapshot for you to say, okay, I think maybe God's showing me where I'm at. Maybe I'm in a great place. Maybe I'm not in a good place. And then not only that, but use this as a tool for the Holy Spirit to then say to you, okay, and here's what a next step would look for you. So first step right here is what we would simply call an initial giver. I asked Eric, we looked at this ladder two weeks ago. I asked Eric, who's the business manager here at the church, I said to him, how many people in our church in the last two weeks did this? They were initial givers. How many people gave to the church for the very first time? And it was 11 people. Now, please, do not look down your nose because of where that's placed on a ladder. Because I think that's amazing. Those are people who could have kept that money, saved that money, spent that money, but they didn't. They responded to the Spirit of God who said, I want to bring about generosity in your heart. And then they were obedient to God. And I would say, praise God for those 11 people, those 11 families. That's a wonderful thing. The question that these people are asking is, what do I do with my stuff? It's a great question. The second piece is an occasional giver. An initial giver has to ask himself the question, okay, God, do you want me to take a step? And this is someone who probably gives every now and again on a fairly regular basis. So they come to church, there's the offering basket, happy to give, happy to respond to the Holy Spirit. I can write a check, there's $20, there's $10, there's $50, no problem. And I can do that. There's probably not a very concrete plan about this. It just kind of happens when it happens. They're happy to do that. They're asking a little bit of a different question. It's not what do I do with my stuff, it's what do I do with God's stuff. That's a great question too. And they're responding to the Holy Spirit. The third one is an intentional giver. And this is where we bump into the word tithe, you find in the Bible. Tithe meaning giving 10%. So for Kelly and I, this is something we've done for many, many years. I don't mean that in a bragging way at all. It's just become normal Christian living for us. So what we do is we look at our income, and then before we pay taxes to the government, before we pay our mortgage, before we buy a loaf of bread, 
we say, God, the minimum that we want to do is to give you 10% of our income and we can bring it back into the house of God. And that's just become commonplace for us. An intentional giver is often saying, look, why am I, why am I giving more money to MasterCard? Why am I giving more money to Amazon or to Ford than I'm giving to my Lord? And they're asking a different question. What do I do with what God has given to me? How do I manage that? Fourth one up here is a surrender giver. I told a story two weeks ago when God had kind of called me to give some stuff that I didn't want to give away at all. I had a piano and a guitar and an amp and a mic and all my stuff. And I'm like, no, that's my stuff. And God was trying to create some new generosity in my heart that didn't want to be there. And I fought with him and I kicked and I threw my little tantrums until I came to a place where I actually surrendered to God. And it was unbelievable how God just said, oh, really? You think you can be generous towards me? Watch me be generous towards you. And the blessings that he poured into my life several months after I did that was completely unexpected in my walk with Christ. I wouldn't exchange that experience with God for anything, not for what I gave away. The question a surrendered giver is asking, God, what do you want me to give from what you have provided? Last one right here is a lifetime giver. And this is someone who's really looking, you know, far ahead, big picture type stuff. And it's like, God, you've given me this. And the question I'm asking is not, God, what do you want me to give from what you've provided? The question you're asking is, God, what do you want me to keep from what you've provided? Because I don't need this. I don't need to go around stockpiling stuff that I can never use. I could live on this. I want to give the rest away to people who need it. So I want you to come before the Lord. We're going to pray right now in just a moment. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit, God, where am I? Where am I in my generosity? And God, what is the step that you would like for me to take? The second action piece, if you would um, be so kind, would you reach out into the front of the seat right in front of you and you'll see an advanced commitment card. We're not taking these up. We're not filling them out. But we're going to pray and I'm going to ask you to actually hold it in your hand as we pray at the end of the service in about two minutes. So if everyone would grab one of those, I'd really appreciate it. Just hold it in your hand. We went through all the details of that last week, all the boxes and what they mean. And I trust that you're becoming familiar with those. And there's more explanation about it in the guidebook. But here's what we're going to do right now. We're going to pray. And really the question is, God, how do you want me to respond to you? What role would you have me play? When it comes to generosity, God, I want to think beyond what is. It's not the way things are. It's not the way things used to be. God, it's the way things could be. That God right now, I believe as a church, is nudging us towards faith and trust. It's an uncomfortable thing that he would nudge us as a family towards faith and trust. God, not what are you saying to me 10 years ago. What are you saying to me today? God, how are you calling me to trust you now? Not yesterday, last week, last month, last year. God, what are you, how are you eliciting trust and dependence in, you, in my heart towards you today and now? Do you remember this last little verse that Nehemiah, in Nehemiah? The happy ending. The whole assembly came together and they said, Amen. And they praised the Lord and the people did as they had promised. As I look at that scripture, there's a sense in which everybody has a part to play. 
that were all called to do something. When he called that great assembly, there was nobody on the sideline. There was nobody omitted or it doesn't matter for you or you're not involved with this. He's like, I want everybody in on this. And can I say this to you in all seriousness? You have a greater need to grow in generosity than this church wants or needs a penny out of your pocket. It's not what this is about. It cannot be about that. I don't want that. You have a greater need not to allow stuff to grab a hold of you and grip your soul than this church wants any of your stuff or any of your money. Not interested. And yet the Holy Spirit, I believe, particularly in the scripture, is calling every single one of us not to be spectators, but to get off the couch and get in the game. That's where he's calling us. Let me close with this. And this is extremely unique. I just don't know if this happens to other churches. Last night I got a text from Eric. Eric's a business manager. And I thought maybe some of this might happen, but I didn't realize it would be to this extent. And I believe it's right for me to share this with the church because I think it is a holy and high thing. Basically, he texted me to let me know that there's been a cross-section of leaders in this church who have already approached the church. Already. Leaders who, and just people who serve here, who in a sense have gone ahead of everybody else. And this was the message. We're all in. We discern God's hand all over this. We see his fingerprints and his voice of direction all over this. And we want, we're, we're impassioned about this. We're already praying this. And this is what Eric texted me last night. He said, there's actually 88 different families in this church who before we've taken up any card or any financial anything have already gone ahead of the church and made financial pledges. I think that's pretty cool. I think that's incredibly unique. We haven't done any of that yet. And we have 88 families who've already gone ahead of everyone else. Here's what I want to ask you to do. We're going to pray right now. Maybe you're here. Maybe you came by yourself today. Maybe you came with friends. Maybe you came uh, with your family. Maybe your kids are with you. Or, or it's just husband and wife or boyfriend, girlfriend. Whatever your context, I want to ask you to pray. Um, you know, if you're with your buddies, pray together. If you're by yourself, that's fine. Just pray to the Lord. And, and would you pray about a few things? Would you pray for the launch of a church in Alma? for the expansion of ministry right here in Mount Pleasant, for the 4-H and initiative where we want to reach out to people who don't yet know about Jesus Christ. And then would you just pray, God, where am I on that giving ladder? And what are you saying to me? What is my role in all this? Please, 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 do me a favor. Don't respond to me. Don't do that. Or I don't know that I'm necessarily eloquent, but don't respond to eloquence or clever words. I'm not interested in that at all. Respond to the Holy Spirit. And so we're not taking up cards. We're not doing any of that. That'll come. I want you to come before God. I want to posture us as his sons and daughters to respond to what he would say to our hearts. And that's between you and God. So I want you to ask right now. We're going to pray. And you can like pray amongst, if you're here as a family or husband and wife, like you don't have to go deathly silent. Pray for each other. Pray for Alma. Pray for expansion of ministry. Pray for the 418. And then basically say, God, what do you call, how are you calling me to trust you today? What does that look like in my life right now?
So let's bow our heads and let's pray together.